You're listening to a message from Redemption Community Church, a life-giving church in Westchester County, New York. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or follow our messages online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening and enjoy the message. Today we're in the final message of a series that we've been in for the past few weeks based on the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, uh, really a story of an ordinary man who God used to do extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. And uh, today, I want to dedicate this message especially to all of our men. So let me start by asking you this question. I think the guys will relate to this for sure. Have you ever started a project um, that that you, you started, you were full of focus, and then you ended up getting distracted, and that project is still left undone to this day? Maybe it was a work project, maybe it was a project at school, certainly projects around the house, right? All the men, you get a break from any of the dads, you get a break from any honey-do list projects today. We've all had this happen before. You start a project, uh, you're full of focus, and then we get distracted. I know this happened to me a few years ago when we bought our house. We were fixing things up, we were remodeling, we were painting. I was motivated, I was focused, and then we got distracted, life got busy, I got tired, and now it's like a light bulb goes out and we're looking around like whose turn is it to change the light bulb right like totally have lost lost the focus today I want to talk to you about focus I believe that God has a purpose for your life I believe something is true for every person in this place today God has a purpose for your life he wants to use your life to make a difference in this world to make a difference in the life of someone else to advance his kingdom and I I believe that what often stands in the way of us fulfilling our God-given purpose is Distraction. Distractions. Today we're going to read about how Nehemiah experienced this very thing. Now let me just kind of recap where we've been for those of you who are just joining us for the first time in this series. Give you a little context around the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah lived during the time of the exile. Over a century before his life, the king of Babylon had attacked Jerusalem, destroyed the city, torn down its walls, destroyed the temple, burned the city gates, and left the city desolate. In many ways, he destroyed the national identity of the Jewish people and carried many of the people into exile in Babylon. Well, fast forward a few generations and the Persian Empire had overtaken the Babylonian Empire. Now, some of the kings had allowed the people to go back, a remnant of people to go back and to begin to rebuild Jerusalem. And here's Nehemiah. He finds himself as an official serving the king of Persia, serving in the king's court. He's the cupbearer to the king. And he gets a report from his brother, who's just returned from Jerusalem, that things are not going well in Jerusalem, that the work is not progressing. The city still lays in ruins, and his heart is broken. And Nehemiah has this sense like someone ought to do something about this, and it might as well be me. And so he goes to the king full of passion, and he asks for permission to return to Jerusalem, to travel to Jerusalem, to rebuild the city walls. And the scripture tells us that God's hand was upon Nehemiah, and the king grants his request, gives him favor, gives him resources and permission. And he travels to Jerusalem. He gathers the people 
together and they begin to rebuild. And the work is moving at an amazing pace. We read about that in chapter three. Everybody pulls together and the walls are going up and everything is going great until we get to chapter four. And two officials, two local officials there named Sanballat and Tobiah, they are opposed to the work. They show up and they begin to criticize Nehemiah and to make threats against Nehemiah and the people. And Nehemiah, he prays to God and he posts a guard and he stays focused on the work that God calls him to do. And as Nehemiah and the people make progress, Nehemiah's enemies get even more agitated and they attempt to distract him from the work. And that's where we'll pick up our story in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Here's what it says. Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshev the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained. Though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. I am engaged in a great work. Come on, everybody say a great work. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Street language translation, ain't nobody got no time for that. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm busy. I'm focused. I'm working. Ain't nobody got time for you messing with me, trying to distract me. Nehemiah was engaged in a great work. He was doing what he felt called to do by God. He was making a difference with his life. Church, let me ask you this today. Men especially, let me ask you this today on this Father's Day. What is the great work of your life? Do you have a great work? Maybe for some of you, it's building a great, healthy, God-honoring marriage. That's a great work. Maybe for some of you, it's raising your kids to be healthy and whole and to know Jesus. Can I tell you today, fathers, there's no better work than you can do than the great work of raising your kids to know Jesus. Can I get an amen, somebody? What's your great work? Maybe it's serving others in this church on a weekly basis. Maybe it's serving in the community. Maybe it's using your gifts and, and, and your calling and your vocation, not just to make a career for yourself, but to honor God. That's a great work. Maybe you're a business person in this place, in the marketplace, and you recognize that God put you there to give you influence and, and to make money so that you can be generous toward the kingdom of God. What is your, your great work? See, Nehemiah, he had a great work. And because he had a great work, he also had what we might call a divine focus. A divine focus. And so here's the big idea today. Accomplishing a great work requires a divine focus. You want to make a difference with your life? You want to make an impact for the kingdom of God? You want to make an impact in someone else's life? You want to pursue a great work with your life? You'll need a divine focus. Because fair warning if your enemy can't destroy you, he'll just attempt to distract you. If your enemy can't destroy you, he'll attempt to distract you. In fact, I'm a bit of a history buff, and I've learned that the Romans understood this. This was one of the strategies of the Romans during the Roman Empire. They often pacified their conquered subjects through a strategy called bread and games. They would conquer a certain people and then they would begin to, to pacify them by giving out free food. They would build amphitheaters. They would build racetracks for horses. And essentially, they distracted their enemies into submission. 
Think about how powerful that is. They just entertained them into submission. And I think this is one of the tactics of the enemy. If the enemy can't destroy you, he'll just attempt to distract you. And so I want to talk to you about three distractions to avoid that Nehemiah faced. If you're going to make a difference with your life, if you're going to pursue a great work, a life lived for the glory of God, you're going to face some distractions, I promise you. And I want you to be prepared. So let me give you three distractions to avoid as you're pursuing a great work with your life. Here's the first one. Number one is so-called opportunities. Notice I put opportunities in quotes. Some of you entrepreneurial people might say, well, opportunities, that's a good thing. I've had to pursue opportunities to advance my career. Oh, I understand. When, I, when I'm talking about opportunities, I'm talking about options that seem interesting, but in reality, they serve to distract you from what's most important. Those kind of opportunities. And Nehemiah faced them. Look at this, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1 through 2. It says, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set up the doors in the gates. Look at verse 2. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Now let me help you out, okay? Never meet your enemy in a place called Ono. Okay, never, never do that. Don't you wish every bad decision, every distraction in your life came labeled as, oh no. You go to buy a used car and the salesman's trying to sell you and on the windshield it says, oh no. You know not to buy that one, right? Come on, single people, you're on a dating app and somebody hits you up, some guy or girl, and their name is, oh no. You just run the other direction, okay? Don't you wish every bad decision. Some of y'all have dated an oh no before. You're like, okay, pastor, preach. So Nehemiah's enemies, they decide that if they can't destroy his work, they're going to distract him. Hey, Nehemiah, why don't you come down from the wall? Come down from what you're building. Take a break from your work and, and meet with us. Now, imagine how someone else who wasn't as wise as Nehemiah may have interpreted this invitation as an opportunity. Someone else who wasn't as wise as Nehemiah may have looked at this invitation and thought, well, here's my chance. This is my chance to go meet with my critics and win them over. I'm going to show them, right? This is my chance. Sanballat and Tobiah, they are finally giving me respect, and now they want to meet with me. This means I'm legit. This is an opportunity for me to go and prove myself because these guys need to give me some respect. Come on, put some respect on my name, Nehemiah. Imagine how someone else may have seen this distraction as an opportunity because what we call an opportunity, God often calls a distraction. What we call an opportunity, God often calls a distraction. Some of you have gotten into some business deals, business ventures that were, it seemed like an opportunity, but they were a distraction. Some of you got into a relationship that seemed like a good opportunity at the time, but it ended up being a distraction to take you off course. Come on, there are certain activities that you've embraced, hobbies, whatever that you pursued that seemed like a good thing at first, but they ended up being a distraction. How do I know if it's a good or bad opportunity, pastor? That's a really good question. Simple. If it distracts you from doing what's most important, that's a clarifying, that's a clarifying way of thinking about it right there. If it distracts you from doing what's most important in your life, it's not the right opportunity. In fact, Jim Collins said this in his best-selling book, Good to Great. Many of you have read that book. He said, good is the enemy of great. Few people attain great lives in large part because it's just so easy to settle for a good life. Oh, that is powerful, isn't it? Good is the enemy of great. You know, it's never been easier to become great at things that don't matter. 
It's never been easier in the history of humanity to become great at things that don't matter. I think the greatest threat to our lives as modern day Christians besides sin is distraction. We got so many ways to be distracted. You can get really good at binge watching Netflix. <laughs> you can get really good at spending your whole life on social media, getting sucked into the black hole of YouTube. We got people making YouTube videos, making millions of dollars, creating videos that do not matter. And you can become really good at this these days. People are spending their lives on things that don't matter. In fact, Cal Newport wrote a book called Deep Work. And in the book, he explores the neuroscience of distraction that keeps us from accomplishing our important work. It's a fascinating book. He's talking about how all of this modern technology that we have, it's actually distracting our brains. Have you noticed your attention span shrinking in recent years? I've noticed this. There, there's actually neuroscience behind this. All of the distractions of our modern day technology, it's keeping us from actually pursuing the most deep work, the work that requires our full attention. And so for me, my phone spends a lot of time in airplane, airplane mode during the week, okay? I'm not available 24-7. If you try to get me, don't be offended. I love you. I'm just called to a great work. I'm pursuing a great work with my life. I, I got to get focused. I got to eliminate some distractions. And four different times, Nehemiah's enemies come to him to distract him, and each time he responds the same way. No! Look at this verse four. Four times they sent the same message and each time I gave them the same reply. I think one of the most strategic things that you can do to fulfill what God has called you to do is to learn to say no. We're gonna practice it together on the count of three. Let's practice this strategy, ready? One, two, three, no! That's it, you got it. <laughs> it's a powerful word. Learn to say no. In fact, I heard one pastor say, you grow with your no's, not with your yeses. You grow with your no's, not with your, your yeses. Even Jesus said no at times. I think we so often think about how Jesus said yes to so many people that he allowed himself to be interrupted. He made time for people, and yes, he did that. But how many of you know Jesus often said no? Jesus said no to the crowds so he could say yes to the Father. Jesus said no to the cross. There were times he had to get away. He had to go on the mountaintop and just get away from everybody and go pray and be recharged and connect with God the Father. Was he being mean to people? No, Jesus was being wise. He understood that he needed to say no at times so he could say yes to what was more important. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. I get invites all the time to ministry events, ministry-related events that seem like really good things, but I have to often say no so I can say yes to what's more important. If I said yes to every invitation, if I said yes to every partnership, I'd be running in a thousand different directions. And in fact, I read an Italian proverb the other day that says, often he who does too much does too little. <laughs> he who does too much does too little. And I have friends who, I'm sad to say this, they, they never accomplish anything because they're always chasing after everything. I have friends that I talk to, every time I talk to them, it's a new business venture, it's a new opportunity, it's a new thing, and they're chasing after all these things. And over the years, what I've noticed is they haven't accomplished much, they haven't really accomplished anything because they're chasing after everything. Come on, church, you gotta remember, you have a great work. God has called you to a great work, to live with divine focus. And as you live with divine focus, you'll begin to discern the difference between opportunities and distractions. You've got to know the difference. We're talking about 
some distractions that will come into our lives. If we're gonna pursue a great work, lives lived for the glory of God, we're gonna face distractions. I would say probably the number one thing besides sin that will stop us from fulfilling our, our God-given mission purpose with distractions. Here's the second thing we have to avoid. Number two is rumors. Everybody say rumors, rumors. See, constantly worrying about what other people think about you is a really great way to not fulfill your purpose. <laughs> I'll give you a shortcut to not fulfill your purpose. Get so caught up when everybody thinks about you that you're distracted by it all the time. This is one of the tactics of the enemy, and it's a huge distraction. And Nehemiah faced it. Look at this, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 4 through 7. Four times they sent the same message, his enemies, his critics, his haters. And each time I gave the same reply. The fifth time, Sanballat's servant came with an open letter in his hand, and this is what it said. There is a rumor among the surrounding nations, and Geshem tells me it is true, that you and the Jews are planning to rebel, and that this is why you are building the wall. According to his reports, you plan to be their king. He also reports that you have appointed prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim about you, look, there is a king in Judah. You can be very sure that this report will get back to the king, so I suggest that you come and talk it over with me, blah, 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 blah. Just sounds like a big man-child, big baby on the playground, right? Like an elementary kid. You better make sure, you better come talk to me because this is going to get back to the king. I heard a rumor about you, right? It's a rumor. It's a distraction, worrying about what everybody thinks about you. Let me tell you something, church. You'll never do anything big. You'll never do big things if you're distracted by small-minded people. <laughs> You'll never do big things with your life, significant things with your life, if you're distracted by small-minded people. I heard it once said that don't worry about what people say about you. Worry more about what's true about you. Don't worry so much about what people say about you. Worry what's true about you. If they're saying things about you and they're true, then you should worry about that. <laughs> Several years ago when I was a pastor, an associate pastor in Western New York, there was somebody in my life who was saying things about me that weren't quite true. Um, and this was actually a significant person in my life. <laughs> and of course, naturally, I wanted to respond. Naturally, I wanted to defend myself. Naturally, I wanted to set the record straight. And how many of you have discovered that oftentimes when someone is saying something that's not true about you or being manipulative, the more you try to defend yourself, the more you end up looking guilty. That's so messed up, isn't it? Doesn't that drive you crazy? And during the middle of that season, when I wanted to defend myself and set the record straight, a really wise friend of mine said to me, he said, Jeremy, let your ministry speak for itself. Oh, I've never forgotten those words. He said, let your ministry speak for itself. In essence, he was saying, let what's true about you speak for itself. You've been here for years now. You've been serving and ministering and loving people. If people don't see who you really are by now, then there's nothing you can do about it. And I can't tell you how many times that phrase has come back to me. Let your ministry speak for itself. And we haven't had many people leave this church bad over the years, but every now and then there have been people who have left and they've been committed to saying things that aren't true about me. And when I'm tempted to defend myself, I just remember, let your ministry speak for itself. You've been here for years now, preaching and teaching and loving people and serving. If people don't know who you are by now, then don't worry about it, okay? Now be careful what you say about your pastor because I know a lot of Italians and they know how to make it look like an accident. I'm just saying, Pastors are relationally connected, all right? Just saying. Tonight, he sleeps with the fish, you know? <laughs> it's Father's Day. I'm going to say whatever pops in my head today. Look at this. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 8. 
Here's how Nehemiah replies. I replied, there is no truth in any part of your story. You are making the whole thing up. And instead of getting discouraged and getting sucked down into what everybody was saying about him, the rumors they were spreading and responding to every comment on his social media feed, what did Nehemiah do? Nehemiah, instead of getting discouraged, he gets determined. Look at verse nine. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. I got even more determined. I didn't get distracted. I didn't get discouraged. I got determined. Come on, you want to shake those haters off? Get focused. Get laser focused on what God has called you to do. Nehemiah said, I'm not going to worry about the voice of other people. I'm going to worry about the voice of God over the opinions of people. Remember last week we said, I'm not going to be moved by what people think. I'm going to be moved by what God thinks about me. Let me save you some pain. Let me save you some distraction. Get more concerned about what God thinks about you than what other people think about you. It'll clarify your decisions. It'll clarify your thinking. It'll save you so much time and energy. Here's the third thing. We're talking about distractions because if the enemy can't destroy you, he will, he will distract you from pursuing a good work. The third thing is self-preservation. Self-preservation. What does that mean? Well, often when we set out to do what God has called us to do, one of the major distractions that we face is the cost. How many of you have discovered that it costs you something to serve others? How many of you have discovered that it costs you something to pursue the things of God, to allow God to, to work through you. And I think often we set out with passion like Nehemiah. Our heart is moved. Our heart is broken. We sense the call. We see the vision. We want to make a difference. And we set out with passion. But then we begin to count the cost. What's this going to cost me in time and in energy and money and an effort to serve, to love, to give, to volunteer, right? Nehemiah, he faces this very distraction. Look at verse 10. It says, later I went to visit Shemaiah, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. Now, we don't know much about Shemaiah, but evidently he had access to the temple. Maybe he even came from the priestly class. Either way, he claims to have some insider info about Nehemiah's enemies and how they're coming to, to kill him. And look at what happens, verse 11 through 13. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse and distract me. Okay, so what's going on here? Why is Nehemiah talking about sin and distractions and, and what is going on? Well, first of all, Nehemiah is very brave, okay? He is stepping up with, with God-given, Holy Spirit-inspired courage, and he's standing up to these guys. But there's more that's going on here. See, Nehemiah recognizes that this is a trick because why? He's familiar with the law of God. He's familiar with the word of God. And according to Old Testament law, you can read about this in the book 
book of Numbers, as a layman, he wasn't permitted to enter into the sanctuary of the temple because it was, was reserved only for the priests. In fact, in 2 Chronicles, you can read about this King Uzziah. He's actually punished with leprosy because he goes into the temple to burn incense and he had no permission to do that. That was something reserved for the priests, not for the king. And so Nehemiah knows the word of God. That's a sermon for another time. You want to avoid the distractions of the enemy? You better know the word of God. You got to know scripture. And so Nehemiah recognizes that this is a trap. And basically, Nehemiah responds by saying, I'd rather die than desecrate the temple. Go ahead and send the enemies my way because I'm not going to do this thing. He recognizes that this guy is a false prophet who wants uh, him to focus on self-preservation instead of his calling. Go save yourself. We, we can lock you in the temple. That's a great place for you to hide. Nobody will look for you there because you're not supposed to be there. Go save yourself because your enemies are coming. Here, here's the reality. Fear of people often leads to a compromise of integrity. You see, Nehemiah's enemies try to use fear to get Nehemiah to, to compromise his integrity. Had he given in, then this would have discredited his leadership and perhaps everything that he was trying to accomplish would have come to a halt. It would have affected everything he was trying to do, the way that people looked at him, the way people saw his leadership. Fear of people often leads to a compromise of integrity. And some of you have experienced that. Some of you, maybe you've experienced the manipulation of a manager who tried to get you to do something that was wrong. Or a boss who asked you to do something that was unethical. Or maybe you were concerned about what other people would think about you if you didn't cut corners like everybody else did. You, know, you knew it wasn't right, but you knew it was the kind of the culture of the place where you worked. And how are people going to look at me if I don't do what everybody else is doing? And you thought about there's a price to be paid. How's this going to affect me? How's this going to affect my career? How's this going to affect my, my, my job? See, fear of people is often about self-preservation, isn't it? How do I protect myself? How do I protect my job, my money? I, I have to do this to survive. Some of you have experienced that. What's the solution? Well, the solution is to take Nehemiah's outlook and fear God more than you fear people. Fear God more than you fear people. You got to get to the place, God, I fear you with a healthy respect. I care more about what you think about me. I care more about your opinion of me. Man looks at the outside, but God, you look at the heart. I'm more concerned about offending you than offending these people. I'm more worried about being, being right with you than doing things the wrong way so I can be right with my boss. Are you with me? God, I'm more concerned about doing this business deal in an ethical way. I'm more concerned about not overcharging this person because I'm less concerned about my wallet than I am about being right with you. Am I preaching to anybody this morning who lives in the real world, right? I'm more concerned about what you think about me. And so Nehemiah responds, I'm not going to lead in the spirit of fear and compromise my integrity. This wasn't about me in the first place. It's not going to become about me now. I didn't come here to preserve myself. I didn't come here to promote myself. I came here to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And I am going to stay focused on my calling, what God has called me to do, because I am engaged in a great work. And let me tell you something. When you set out to be used by God, whether for a small thing or a big thing, you can expect the distraction of self-preservation to rear its head and to come along and be, to be distracted by this idea of what's it going to cost me to serve this person, to give him myself, to love, to pray, to forgive. And I think God is asking us, do you really trust me with your life? 
that if you sacrifice, I can take your life and make something more beautiful of it than you ever could have on your own. Isn't this really about faith? This self-preservation thing? Do, God is saying to me, do you trust me with your life, with your time, with your energy, with your finances, that I can redeem anything that you give back to me and transform it and make it into something more beautiful and meaningful than you ever could on your own. Church, here's what I want you to know today. Men, look at me on Father's Day. God has great purpose for your life. Every person in this place, he's put something of himself on the inside of you. You're made in his image. You have gifts. You have talents, you have experiences, you have things that God has placed on the inside of you and God wants to use you. As a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, he wants to use you to make a difference for his kingdom, to impact someone else's life. He's called you to a great work. And, and the number one thing besides sin that will stop you from accomplishing what God has called you to accomplish is distractions. And so we have to have a divine focus. Like Nehemiah, we got to get laser focused on what God has called us to do. And here's what I want you to remember. Whatever you set out to do what God has called you to do, whether it's simple or whether it's a major life decision, I want you to be prepared. I want you to be prepared for when the distractions come to, to respond like Nehemiah responded. Come on, five times, four or five times, they came at Nehemiah. He's up working on the wall. God's using his life. He's orchestrating. He's leading. He's organizing the people. And they keep coming to him to try to distract him. And how does he respond in verse 3? I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? Come on, I want you to get to the place when the distractions come, you respond. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I, I, that when the criticism comes, I'm doing a great work. I, I can't come down. When the rumors are spread about you, when someone says something about you that's not true and tries to, tries to distract you, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I'm helping a loved one right now through a hard time. I'm doing a great work. I, I can't, I can't come down. I, I'm serving on the next gen team, pouring the love of Jesus into the lives of children and students. I'm doing a great work. I, I can't come down. Come on, I'm pursuing my career for the glory of God. I don't just exist for myself. I'm building this business for the glory of God. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I'm pursuing a healthy marriage. I'm raising my kids to know Jesus. I'm not just worried about them getting into the best college and going to private school. I want them to know Jesus above everything else. Come on, men. Come on, dads. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. I'm paying off this debt. I'm getting financially healthy so I can be generous toward the things of God. I'm doing a great work. Can't buy that. I'm passing. I can't come down. I'm taking care of my body. I'm getting healthy. I'm getting healthy in mind and in spirit. And I recognize that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I'm staying focused. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Nehemiah stays focused on his great work. And he sees it through to completion. Look at this. Verse 15 and 16. So on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we began. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated. Come on, those who had been making threats, those who had been trying to put fear into the heart of Nehemiah, when they saw the work, they were frightened and humiliated. They realized the work had been done with the help of our 
God. Come on, God is the one working behind the scenes of your life. And this is what I love about the story of Nehemiah. He wasn't a prophet, wasn't a priest, wasn't a king, wasn't a warrior. In many ways, he was an ordinary man who just had a passion for God to make a difference with his life. And he recognized that God's hand was upon him. And God was working this whole time behind the scenes of his life. And God used him to do something extraordinary with the help of our God. Let me tell you something. When you live your life for the glory of God, it's built to last. Everybody's building their life around something. When you take your temporary life and you offer it to God somehow with his blessing upon it, he uses your life to impact the kingdom of God for eternal purposes. It's amazing what God can do when you give your life to him, you live it for his glory. And so I want to encourage you today, keep building, keep building one day at a time, one brick, one stone at a time. Keep your divine focus. It's time to begin a great work. It's time to begin a great work. Hey, would you just bow your head for just a moment? I want to pray for you today. And I just want to ask you two questions. Here's the first one. What is your great work? What's the great work that God's calling you to? And some of you might say, Pastor Jeremiah, I, I don't know. And I'm praying that God's going to speak to you about that. I'm praying that these last five weeks, <laughs> that God's going to take what we've heard and he's going to plant a seed in your heart. And let me just clarify it for you. It's the most important thing. It's the most important thing. It might be your marriage if you're married. It might be raising your kids if you're a parent. For many of us, it's our career, and we need to think about how that's used and stewarded toward the glory of God. It may be a decision you have to make about some life change, pursuing something, stepping into something, starting a business, going back to school. I don't know what it is, but what is the great work? Maybe it's getting healthy that God is calling you to. And then here's the question, who or what is trying to distract you from it? Who or what is trying to distract you from it? I want you to think about that. And now I want you to stand with me as we pray together. And we're going to do what Nehemiah did. We're going to call out to God for help. All throughout this series, Nehemiah has called out to God for help. And we're going to do that today. Would you pray with me today? And we're asking, if you don't know what that great work is, God, show me. Father, we're coming to you. We're asking. We're knocking. We're seeking. God, we want our lives to make a difference for you. God, we want our lives to be used for your kingdom, God. We want to know that our lives have made a difference. And so, God, we're asking you to show us what's the great work that you want to do through our lives. Father, there's some people who are sincerely praying that prayer in this place. God, I pray that you would answer. I pray that you would show them. I pray that you would help them to know what their great work is. And for those who know what it is, the most important thing, I pray that you give them a divine focus today. Somebody needs to pray that today. Father, give me a divine focus. Keep me from the distractions of the enemy. A divine focus. Father, keep us from any opportunities that are truly distractions. Father, give us wisdom to know the difference between opportunities and distractions. Father, help us to care more about what you think about us 
than what other people have to say about us. Father, help us to be willing to, to pay the price when the distraction of self-preservation comes along. God, to recognize that the sacrifice is worth it, that you are a redemptive God, that Jesus, you call us to take up our cross and to follow you. And whatever cost we got to pay, it's all going to be worth it when it's all said and done, when we stand before you one day. God, give us that divine focus. Give us that divine focus. And now I want to pray over our men today, especially over our men. Come on, if you're with a loved one, would you put a hand on their shoulder with dad, with a husband, significant other, brother, friend, church, family. Guys, if there's another guy close by you, maybe you want to just link up, put an armor on each other. Come on, we're all church family in this place today. I want to pray a blessing over our men today. Come on, men, just lift your hands today. I want to pray a blessing over you all over this place today. We thank God for our men. Come on, somebody put a hand on somebody's shoulder next to you, on a man. Let's bless our men today. We thank God for you today. Father, we thank you for our men. God, we thank you for the gift that they are to your church. God, your church needs some more good men like these guys. And Lord, we bless them today. We thank you for their hearts. God, we thank you for who they are. God, we thank you that you see them. God, we thank you that every man in this place, you have purpose for their lives. You've placed gifts on the inside of them. That, Father, you have a great work for them to do. I come against any lie of the enemy that would distract them, that would tell them they're anything less than who you called them to be. We thank you that they are sons in your house. And we call them blessed today. And we pray that you would protect them, that you would keep them, that you would help them to walk in their God-given purpose. We speak divine focus over every man in this place. We call forth greatness in them today, God. We call forth greatness in our men, that they would be the husbands, the fathers, the men, the sons, the children of God, the sons of God that you have called them to be. And we bless them today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you'd like to connect with us or learn more about our church, please visit us online at redemptioncommunitychurch.org. We hope you can listen or join us next week.